I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Ngunnawal people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. It was really sort of going from someone who just touched their toes in wine in Australia to being straight into these sort of um, um, French wines was um, quite a, quite quite a big turnaround for me. And, um, and again, just sort of it just sort of enhanced that sort of uh, I like wine. This is over a glass. I'm Shante Whale. Brian Martin is one of Australia's nicest winemakers, known for his natural talent with the grape and a smile that would soften any frown. His Ravensworth wines, made in the Canberra district, will win you over with their character and finesse. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining me. Hi, nice to be here. Brian, you've had a few lifetimes of adventures. There's no way I'm going to let you sum it up in one paragraph. So (laughs) instead, tell me a little bit about your first memory of wine. Uh, I guess it it sort of goes back... um, really to when I first started working in hospitality and this this was sort of in the um, mid-80s and um, I started working at a, a, a hotel here in Canberra that was quite ahead of its time. It was one of the first sort of atrium hotels around, had a really good wine, sort of cocktail bar and restaurant and quite a good wine list at the time and, um, and I just remember just drinking um, this Chardonnay that was made by Brian Crozer when he was at um, the Riverina um, um, college, which was um, now at C- CSU, and it was, so it was 1980 College Chardonnay. I just remember drinking that, and I just sort of, I had a bit of contact wine before then, but I just sort of just it just sort of changed my thoughts on wine. I thought I just I was, all of a sudden I I'd sort of had my attention sort of thing from that wine on, and f- and from that point onwards, um, I just sort of got into it. Yeah, so it was sort of um, I was I was in my early twenties and just. Um, about to go off overseas on a trip, but I, I just sort of from then and it just sort of evolved from there. When, when I was over in England, we worked in white, really good wine bar over there, and the, the, the knowledge grew and came back to Australia. Started working for a wine retailer, and it just sort of just went on and on the um, the, the, the thing. And, and it was all, always that sort of hospitality retail that I was in, into at that time there. And uh, it was much later, obviously, that I, that I got into, into production. Oh, that's a great first wine to kind of really make you stop and think. Still to this day, I think, you know, those Petaluma and, and the legacy that Brian Crows has left, but that their Chardonnays are pretty amazing. Tell me a little bit about when you, you know, when you moved over to, to England, you worked at a little wine bar um, that was owned by Michael Caine and Peter Langan. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I guess when I when I got there, I didn't have much money, and um, so but I, I I did have English heritage, so I was able to. Work, I didn't have to have visas and that, so I was able to work over there, and I um so I was able to um, find quite a good job at the time because most Aussies at the time they're working they're working in pubs for their keep, so they're basically just working. Well, they actually got a quite a good job working in this little called Langen's um um I can't remember, Langen's, Langen's wine bar, Langen's Bistro, but it was it was it was he had a few he had a few restaurants in that area in, in Mayfair. And this one was attached to the um, Down Street Hotel, Seven Down Street, a little tiny six-room hotel that was owned by the at the time by the Rolling Stones. So this little, really cool little restaurant. It was like a, I was on the floor when I when I started there. Then I, then I started working the bar, and then I was sort of running the wine list there. Just had a great little range of French wines. I just remember there's sort of these a lot of Bordeaux. So they had all not that many at the, not many first growths, but a lot a lot of class growths there. And I just remember people and people really drank them, and the owner. Peter Lang and he he just he, he was a real sort of um, really known for his drinking a bit capability at the time and he so he had a great champagne list there as well. I just remember he, he used to always come in for he'd come in if he came for breakfast he'd be having a, you know, a bottle of R.D. Bollinger and that sort of stuff. So it was just a really cool hotel and each of the rooms had a different theme and um, and the wine list was um, had a you know, really nice cellar downstairs for the proper wine list with a, with a dumb waiter to bring the wine up and um, and I just sort of I just sort of really sort of again, sort of got, got me, I guess, more f- out of, off the floor and just really focused on just being in, in, in the bar. And, um, and it was just a, just a really cool place to work. It, it closed down. Just I left it. It had been sold and, and, and was closed down. And I left and worked another place in, um, in not, not too far away. But um, I just did, that was always quite an interesting time to see those sort of wines for the first time. Had a lot of, lot of wines from Loire as well. And luckily, you know, lots of muscadets and all that sort of thing. So 
it was really sort of going from someone who just touched their toes in wine in Australia to being straight into these sort of um, um, French wines was um, quite a, quite quite a big turnaround for me. And um, and again, just sort of just sort of it enhanced that sort of this 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 is I mean I mean I like wine. You know, food food was as much important to me or always has been, but wine was really getting up there then. And um, I just I really like working there. I was a bit I was a bit sort of. Um, I know a bit disappointed when it did close down, but they 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 they, they sold it and um, and um, yeah, I ended up going off and working on a cruise ship in America after then. <laughs> so so kept, that was nothing, nothing to do with wine <laughs> at all. <laughs> Peter Langham was like a notorious restaurateur and uh, sadly died when he was fairly young, which is is really sad. Um, what do you did you like? Did you have much to do with him? Did you meet him? Like you said, just serving him on the odd occasion. Yeah, more more just being one of the, one of the, one of the people there. But he was he was he was, he was intense. Like he, he was, um, you know, he seemed like he was pretty drunk most of the time because <laughs> he was around. And, and at the time, Michael Kane was just as bad. <laughs> he, he, he he sobered up, but um, unfortunately, Peter Langan didn't get, didn't get to that age. So he um yeah he, he was quite he was quite the tar- quite the person and very much that sort of um you know that sort of that. Classic restaurateur that sort of just ate, ate well and like he'd, he'd just be always eating and drinking and um, and it was just um, you know it was fascinating to watch because like I've, I've come across a few people like that since then <laughs> that, that have survived. That have survived. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, it was quite, quite. Well, that's nice because I, I feel I feel like sometimes people like that. You know, they have such a a love of food and wine, and unfortunately, we kind of remember them because because of their demise in that way. But, you know, we have these amazing cellars and beautiful restaurants to thank them for that live on in their kind of legacy. And it must have been nice working with these incredible wines. Did you, were you just kind of kind of self-teaching yourself along the way as you kind of were selling wines? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just sort of just just, just reading and, you know, reading all those books that, yeah, that, you, that you do and um, and just sort of, um, just, yeah, just, just, just slowly learning it, not not in any sort of formal fashion. I, um, I mean, there wasn't really any sort of courses that, you know, but I just sort of, it, it just sort of, I just, just remember, but, and the people that worked in the restaurant winter as well. So, I think it's, it's sort of, it is the people that you tend to work with that sort of draw you on as well. So, I just found that we, we were... Um, trying lots of wine, and um, whereas I think a lot of my um, other Aussie brethren at the time were probably just drinking drink in bars, just drinking and <laughs> that sort of stuff. So I, was, I felt I felt quite um, lucky to be able to, um, with very little experience, because it, was, it wasn't to actually be able to do that over there, because there weren't there weren't many of us doing doing working in those sort of places. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, that Langan's Brasserie was an institution, and I, like, I just imagine to be able to go back and just spend, you know, like a few days watching the people that come and go. That would have been just pretty sensational. Do you did you run into people you you know have good memories of? Yeah, well, lots, lots, well, there's lots of famous people who used to come through there, and um, you know, it's sort of, it's. Um, I, I mean, I remember once I was in the bar, sort of serving a, try, trying to convince the next James Bond actor to, um, to for me to make him a, make him a martini, but he he didn't drink. <laughs> so, it, was, it was George Lazenby, so he was, he was essentially a local. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if you had made that epic martini, maybe we would have lost you to the bar community. So I'm very glad that it worked out that way. Would have been such a good story. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Tell me a little bit about what you did next in terms of working on the Americanas. I, my mother, you know, um, spent a long time traveling on some of those big cruise ships kind of you know going to and from England or when she went on travels and she'd tell me these crazy stories about the passages going through tell me a little bit about what it was like as a waiter on those ships uh because I, I was I was hired we and a friend a friend of mine who I was knew over there as well we, we both got these jobs with this company and we, so we we're both sort of flown to um, to Florida to um, to wait for our ship to come in, and um, Justin went off to do this cruise ship that went up to Alaska. But I got on this. I was sent back to New York and um, and on this the Americana. So it was basically it was sort of this old school sort of station. I'm not sure if you've been on a cruise. I mean, this put me off ever being on a boat again. <laughs> so 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 basically, what we did as a station waiter, we had we had um, three tables of um, of four people. Two seatings, 
um, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then they always had midnight buffet. So we would we would attend those same people for the. It was it was basically a five day trip. We went from New York out. To, this, this is in the winter. This was in the off season for for, for um the the um the Caribbean. So the ships always went to the Caribbean. But I but I, when I was there, it was it was in the time where they wouldn't go down because of the storms. So um so we'd go from New York out to Bermuda and, and back again. And then there was like a one night cruise within New York Harbor. So so you basically have this same people to look after and obviously mostly older American people and they ate and ate and ate and ate and so station waiter we had to sort of walk around the, the boat with um, trays with the um, the plates on it so we'd have we'd have commies that would do the um, that would do all the drinks and that stuff there but so my, my job was to um, just go get the collect the food it's like a, it's like a, like a, a little um, I don't know food court in there we go to each station to get whatever they're having and it was, and they just ate and ate and ate for that week and you know essentially what we got paid by the, by that company was fifty dollars a month. For, for work for that job, so living on tips, and um, and but I was the only person that was remotely, um, you know, European on the list. People, in fact, people mostly thought I was from Austria or from Israel. They never quite understood where I was from. All the other waiters were from either from um, from um, sort of um, Central America, the Philippines. Um, and so they all, they all, all work. You make, make, make quite a lot of money. We're making about, about the time about a thousand dollars a week. You'd make in, in tips, which um, for me, even I was working two jobs, was sort of still quite good. But most of the other waiters that worked there, they were sending money back to where they where they where their families were. So that was very bad. But but imagine on a ship, there's no there was no safe way. We'll, we'll stack some um, three high in in, um, in cabins that um, was three people up to the roof, and um, and you had you had a, you had a, a locker. But you had all this money with you that you're collecting on the way, and so you had to walk around with the money sort of strapped to you all the time. So you had this increasing weight of <laughs> your bum bag, what it was, sort of with all your money in it. So you sort of quite, was quite, and I had quite a bit in the end. So I was trying to save up enough to actually get back to England and then get back to Australia because I had to go back to England. So I, um, but I, I, you know, I loved, I loved Bermuda. I mean, it was, it was just the most beautiful place there. And, and, cool, and, cool, and I was lucky in the game because I was English speaking and, and white. <laughs> I was able to get, I was taken in by a lot more of the people that the other staff weren't. So, you know, sort of, I, 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 I hate that sort of thing. But, um, so I got to know a lot of, a lot of people that were sort of, that were sort of further up, but it was just a really badly run ship and, was pretty, it was pretty dirty, and um, and I um, in the end, I, I just said I got to get off this. I, I need to get back to, need to back home, and I um, so I end up because I had my passport. I end up um, talking them into my passport back and jump ship in New York and head back home. So, um, but again, I I can't ever imagine ever wanting to be on a ship again. Seeing that, I know there's better better, better versions of it. But the way the way people ate there was just ridiculous. <laughs> it was like these people, and they had, they had, they had, they had, it was only this was this one was a big. This is you look it up online. So this is an old. This is a very old ship. You know, it was retired just after. I think. <laughs> In fact, I, might, I think it might have sunk or something. But it, um, you know, <laughs> it, um, it, um, it worked really. The 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 the, the way the staff our staff were, were treated was um, awful. We were allowed a bit of time on the front on the foredeck. Um, but we weren't allowed to mix with the with the, um, the people at all, and, um, and so we had to spend this whole time telling your story because you want these people to like you and um, and and um, give you money because <laughs> otherwise it was just a waste of time. But um, yeah, so that was a very brief time in my life. But I, I realised that I I won't never need to go on a sh- on a ship again. Gosh, I can't. Yeah, I mean such a different way and such a different system in the way that in the past it's worked in America. And, and I, I, you can see why people would bend over backwards or put up with terrible behaviour from guests when it really is your lifeline towards whether you're not you're fed or not. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, just an incredible time. And look, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure you're, knowing you, you're not a huge eater that wants to gorge yourself for a week. So I can see why the, the pull to ships is not, not for you. <laughs> There's plenty to discover in our amazing country. Tell, tell me a little bit about, um, when you returned home, tell me a little bit about the farmer's brother liquor chain you worked for, because I don't know really anything about their story. Yeah. Well, so I came back to, um, go back to Australia. I ended up working back 
working for the um, the same company that I was working before. They another they had another hotel that's um now called the QT, but it was the um it was the Lakeside. So I, I'm not working there, but I I was trying to study music at the time. But I I just realised that was a bit of a sort of a pathway that wasn't going to I was going to be at best a music teacher. So I I thought oh, this ad came in the paper for a trainee manager of Farm Brothers, and I knew Farm Brothers. They were sort of a local. One of the local independents. That were the people that really changed um, liquor in in Canberra because the it was David and Richard Farm. Richard Farm was a lobbyist for the government, and they found out that they're going to deregulate um, the the beer beer pricing. Um, they this this back in the early early eighties. I think it was late eighties, early eighties. So they they had a shop in Manica, and they were selling beer off the back of a truck there. But um, David's love was um, David Farmer's love was. Um, was wine. Um, he was another people like. He was, he was a bit like Peter Langan, bit bit reined in, but same, <laughs> same, same idea. And um, so they they had this. They, they had about three stores in Canberra at the time, and they they spanned it here. But um, pretty quickly they realised that that you know with me they, they I, I, I um I like working there. We moved around the Statham stores in City and Belcon and all the places, yeah. and um, and had great wines there. A lot of a lot of Australian wines, but they, had, they were the ones that really were importing some really decent French wines back then. Like we, like the first time I ever tried a a Cote Rotier was a Grigail, was a half bottle that I got, I bought for twelve dollars <laughs> from Farm Brothers. So um, yeah, so wine, wine was way you know obviously really cheap back then. And he was he was the guy that brought in those 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 um, single vineyard Grigail wines in Australia for the first time. So we were drinking those, you know, in the eighties when they when they first sort of came to the market. And um, so so I, I like that, and I and I like this sort of thing. And so he, he, he asked me if I wanted to move to Melbourne because they were expanding down there. So I had a couple of stores down there. And they were Dan Murphy's were the big one. They were, you know, the actual Dan Murphy was the the main market down there, and there was Nick's and a few others there. But um, Farm Brothers was, was they were doing the same in Sydney, but they, they thought they could really expand down in, in Melbourne. So they sent me down there to work with Phil Rowe, who was the regional manager, to work as his assistant. So we we um we had we we just started opening up stores all over the place. So I was moving around. I'd I'd, I'd get the source store set up and get a new manager in, then move around and. Um, and Phil, he's a Kiwi, and um, he was probably had probably one of the biggest effects on me for wine because he was um, he had a great wine cellar back in New Zealand, and he loved European wines. And you know, I had my first um, you know, experience with um, with Burgundy with him, like a, you know, like a, one of the great ones. Like we 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 had a bottle of the. Um, um, it was a it was an eighty five to Vogue, <laughs> and um, and, I, and I just remember that one. Just and I was sort of I, was, I guess that working with Farm Brothers, I was sort of into Australian wines. So we had a really good range of Australian wines. And, but Phil, who was, but he said no. You know, so and we 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 were sort of drinking great Chablis and Burgundies, and he had a little love of um of um of Italian wine, and particularly from um, from Tuscany, and that that had a big effect on me because you know, when we came to growing grapes, Sangiovese was the first variety I planted. So working with Phil was was fantastic, and we it didn't work. Eventually, Farm Brothers had to you know it got into discounting, and like we'll 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 bring in semi trailers of you know Canunga Hill for. F- Paying four dollars ninety for sell it for four dollars ninety nine, so you can't do that for too long before you um you sort of run out of run out of cash. So um we we end up um they end a hotel in Tasmania. So my my wife is Jocelyn. Um we we just got married. Um she, her, her background was hospital as well. So David moved me and Jocelyn down to run this hotel down in Tasmania after then. And while we're down there, the farm bars went into into liquidation. So we um. We um and I thought, but I still have contact with David. He, he lives in he lives in the Barossa, and he um he ended up paying back, as far as I understand, he ended up paying back all his debt that he had, and um and um he's still the same sort of person. Still um, loves food and wine. Yeah. Hmm, that's fascinating. I didn't really know anything about them, so I, I love hearing well, well, that. Well, if you look at Vintage Cellars, Vintage Cellars is what Farm Barabbas became. So all those Vintage Cellars stores. The original ones, they were the Farm Brothers stores, because he sold. He basically, the space of the business, the business was sold to Coles, and Coles developed vineyard sellers from from the. There was a, there was a, there was a couple in Sydney, so then in Melbourne that had so they that the one the, the ones that were were doing really well, which is the um, I think the one in Melbourne was the one in Brighton, and there was one in um, in Bowen. They they changed that. They were the first sort of vintage seller stores. So it, um, that's where that's where it, that's where it ended up was um, was um, part of Coles. Sam. 
Fascinating. I love that. What was your experience like in, in Tasmania when you were down at the, the hotel at Eagle Head? Eagle Hawk Neck, yeah, it was just a fascinating time because we, um, you know, it was this, I mean, Joss and I just, just got married and, um, and we went down there and it was, it's called the Lufra Hotel, which is sort of still there, it still hasn't changed much. And um, it's like a sort of 30 room hotel with a, a dining room, a public bar, and that. And um, at the time, Tasmania was very much, this is just after the, came back a long time, this is after the, the pilot strike of the late 80s. So Tasmania tourism was basically just killed through the pilot strike. Um, um, and um, so we'll still recover in there. So essentially, as far as tourism-wise, we just had a – it was really from Christmas to Easter that you'd be busy with tourists. Other than that, you might have one or two rooms a night through the rest of the year. David did want a um, a good restaurant because David is Tasmanian. So he um, – so we, during the summer months, we, 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 we'd brought a chef down with us, a young chef, Murray, who was um, – we just started his apprenticeship. So during the during the summer months and early autumn, we'd 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 cook really good food there. Like we'd scale. We'd, there was fantastic seafood. I still hadn't seen as good a seafood as I saw back then in Tasmania. We, 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 there was a fishing village there at um, Pirates Bay. So we we would um, we would have fresh fish all the time on there. And plus, they, all, all these growers were growing things like um, all all our sort of um, salad greens and um, and meats and game and so it was just an incredible time to to cook that and i and i because i because I, I, I had a my, my cooking at time was being a fairly enthusiastic home cook i want to learn commercial cooking so i learned commercial cooking based just working with murray so i'd, I'd spend most of my time doing the back of house stuff so i'd run you know, in the bars or in the in the rest in the restaurant in, in the kitchen and jocelyn would do all the front of house stuff so she'd run she ran the business and um so it was quite and we, you know, again, we still do that now with our, with our you know our company now but um so the the um so we did have a great I and mean, we, we actually ended up winning quite good awards down there, all that thing there, and the food was fantastic. But then come winter, we had to shut it all down. So we and then then it was basically just turn on the deep fryer and um it, and um cooking for the locals and um they, you know, Eagle Rock Neck, the the bar there, the, the top bar, um it was a. <laughs> It was a bar that only recently um, had allowed women into it. <laughs> we get the idea of the times, and um, it was all the and the local the closest bars were, um, were one in Newbina and one in Denali. So it was all the locals just basically drank all their spent all their money drinking in that bar there. So we ran we, all the social was around that bar there. So it was a really important part of the business that it kept going. But it was it sort of drive you crazy because you sort of. <laughs> You're caught up in a lot of lives that are sort of um, fairly, you know, a lot of fishermen and um, and local, local local growers and but I guess it taught it, it taught it taught me and Jocelyn a lot about business because the b- biggest problem we had with the Lufra and the Lufra was a hotel that was set up by Reg Anset. So when he set up his um, bus lines back post World War Two, the Lufra was one of his one of his first um, hotels where he. Bring, bring bus travellers down down there. So, but when he set it up, he, there was there was one one property neck above us, and the water came from a spring about sort of three kilometres up the hill, and that was fine, all fine and good. But the in the meantime, it had all been sold off, and so the, our our one inch feed line to the hotel came through about four properties, and everyone everyone would um, tap into it for their for their cow troughs and stuff like that. And the guy at the end grew, grew drugs, so we would ha- we'd have to. Um, it, when, when, you, when you ran out of siphon, it was, it was no pump there, it was, it was all siphon. We'd have to go and talk him into start getting it going and you have to give him, take up you know, beer and stuff with him and give, give him all the stuff to get him to start the siphon up for you. So we'll run, we're trying to run a, a tourist hotel <laughs> with this sort of one-inch, three-kilometre long line that, um, that, that was all the, water, all the water we had. So with that, again, that sort of thing is that, you know, you know, at the time, the reason we did it, could we love the idea of getting our own little place. And that sort of put us in perspective about what you need to know before you go into it. Where, where's the water going and where coming from and where it's going? Because our, our, our septic system used to sort of essentially go down through a, quite a, a little rainforest down onto the Pirates Bay Beach. So, which is all been tied up now, obviously. But it's, um, at the time, then it was like this crazy thing, and, and all, all of a sudden, it stopped working. And the, the our local handy, handyman Ray would have to go find some roadkill to get the septic going again, so it wouldn't sort of be pumping raw heads out of the beach. <laughs> so, so, that, so that caught up. That took that took a lot of our time, just sort of dealing with that local. But we um, we loved it down there. We, our, 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 our first child, our, Lily, was born down there, and um, so we got really fond memories of it. And um, but when Farm Brothers. When liquidation, we we 
we sort of had to get out of there because it, so we we ended up talking them into um so we we um um got got ourselves paid out and um and then the, and the property was sold and Joss and I and Lily we went for a big trip overseas for a few months and um trying to work out what we we're doing we came back to we because we, we had a house in Melbourne at the time so work out what we we're doing when we go back in Melbourne so um yeah so it was sort of again one of those times in your life where you um you sort of see. An emerging thing, and, and wine wasn't the main focus there. But David still we used to do wine dinners. Like we used to bring down winemakers from um, from the mainland to um, to do to um, wine dinners down there. And we had a really good cellar down there that um, that, 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 that I loved. And David, David, when David arrived at town, he had to make sure he had had all the things he needed to drink down there. <laughs> so we had to maintain quite, quite a good cellar. And, um, yeah, I, bet. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, if you take one thing out of that experience, which obviously it was such a, a deep and, you know, worthwhile experience, but to have a love of cooking, to develop your passion for cooking, and like you said, to, to do a, you know, a, a complete course in cooking. And then, you know, that, that is in itself such a gift. You actually, when you returned back to Canberra, you were actually teaching cooking schools. Is that right? <laughs> you sort of, I guess, sort of get this point where you sort of, um, you just sort of um, keep moving forward, and um, and I got a lot of this from from Jocelyn. She she's sort of, you know, has had a real big effect on it, as, as 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 your partner should about how, how you go about things. She, she she's she's done many degrees. She's always been, you know, sort of, and so when something said when um and she and she was working at the time as a teacher at this um, international hotel, Australian International Hotel School the AIHS, which was part of the Cornell Business School at the time. And um, so I was teaching business, the, the business of, of um, running hotels at a time when full fee-paying students study wasn't a thing, you know. So most of the students from, from, were from overseas. So there a lot, a lot of them from, from Asia and that. So we, um, so they, they had a, a cooking ed- educator there, um, Gabby, who, um, who ended up being called back to Cornell. And, um, and the the manager at the time, the person that was running the program, she said because I was I was working at the Hyatt at the time, I was, I was working in the, in the in the kitchen there. So I basically sort of came out of the loo for I start, just started working. As, I wanted to keep going with the chef, and so I started working as a chef, but not being fully qualified meant that I was working in some pretty sort of weird place around the place. But so I was working at the Hyatt there, and I, you know, I, I can't say I really liked it. But they said, "Why don't you apply for a job?" And I said, "Well, I don't I don't really know." Um, teaching, I don't really uh, cooking is sort of something that's quite new to me. I said apply for it, so I applied for it. They gave it to me. So all of a sudden, I was I was learning, to, you know, things like stock soups and sauces just before I was going out and teaching them. So, <laughs> but but it got me out. It got me out of the kitchen, and it was quite it paid quite well. And I was sort of, and I quite liked it because it was, you know, it was, it was challenging to get up in front of, you know, there's only probably a dozen students, but you know, you get up in front of students and having to talk. And um, it, was, it wasn't something that I that I that I do, that I had done before, or um, or thought I'd ever, or even something I was that good at it. But I, but I I loved the learning process. And um, then we also ended up doing a um, that was going quite well. And they didn't want me to do another course. We did a course on international dining. So we basically sort of could pick any country, and we'd go and cook cook the food from there. So we we're doing mostly Southeast Asia, Southeast Asia at the time. And because it's called a bit of resource, I was going up to Sydney and you know sitting down with David Thompson and learning about Thai food and um, going and um, and those sort of things. So so I was able to sort of um, develop my food thing really quite well through that. I sort of um, I really liked it, and we'll 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 we'll, we'll sort of at that same time we 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 um I was I was studying I started studying viticulture and we had had our second child then, and so I sort of. Um, um, it was fitting in quite well with doing the part-time work in in the vineyards, a place called Deer Creek here. There, I was able to, I was able to work with Rob and Kay there, as sort of more part-time. That eventually get, I'll get a bit of pay money for it. But the hotel school sort of gave me that month, that time, where just once or twice we were going there and teach. And we lived in Canberra at the time, so I was able to spend the rest of the time being with Lily and um, and then James and um, and Jocelyn was able to keep going with her career, which um, was really important because. Um, Obviously, as you as you know, it's it's very hard to sort of step step away, and um, so I, we, we just we just decided that I was I was probably better, more suited to being at home because <laughs> I was I was the cook as well, than than, than Justin. So she would keep, she would keep going, and I and I was lucky, very lucky to stay, be able to stay at home and be, be with the kids when they were young and that. So um, so the yeah, so the hotel school was um was great. I, I really liked doing that, and it um, 
it just sort of um, it was just a nice sort of side thing that meant that I didn't have to go work in a kitchen. So I, so I was basically working nights, and Jocelyn was working days, and so it was just sort of it was really sort of hard to have that sort of relationship if you both worked in in the same industry. Even even though she was teaching, it was still hospital, hospitality. So um, I, I know that all too well. That also led at one at one small point as well to you becoming a restaurant cricket critic um briefly tell me a little bit about kind of how that how that manifested well again i'd sort of um jocelyn um had let, left the hotel school was going through some changes it was it was bought by the blue mountains hotel school um and so jocelyn, jocelyn ended up running running the the, the, the ahs so but she got headhunted and because her background was more probably finance oriented so she got um a job Working as the business manager of um, of a, one of the school, big schools in Canberra, Bradford College in Canberra. So she she left that, and once she left, I felt I I sort of yeah you know, I needed to do something else. And, and plus, the wine thing was sort of becoming more like I was I was actually working a couple of days a week, getting paid for it by then. And um, so I left there and decided to um to um just focus on that. And um and that, that was the same sort of time when I um st- crossed over and started working with um with Tim at Clonakilla. And um, so one day the Canberra Times editor just rang me up and said, um, "Are you interested in doing reviewing restaurants?" And my first question was, you know, "Why? Why are you calling me for?" Because um, obviously there was a food thing there, but they, I think maybe the education background for <laughs> only a couple of years, um, sort of. Um, so that yes, like, and again I said yes, okay, I'll give it a go, and I. Um, and I set out and I went out and they said, I'll go, go, go to a restaurant, re- review it and see, we'll see how you go. And so, and again, no schooling in, in writing at all. I, I left school quite early and, um, and you know, went back to do this university with, um, for when I was doing viticulture. So I, I wasn't that sort of um, great at sort of um, that sort of thing. So I, um, I went out and did a review of a restaurant and I, I took a sort of a fairly sort of um, – not so a humorous approach to it, but sort of a bit more of a you know, light-hearted approach to what 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 I was doing and and that sort of thing. And they, they liked it, and so all of a sudden I was reviewing restaurants each week, almost each week or second second week for the Canberra Times, and um, it was fun at the time. I guess um, Ravensworth was still in its very infancy; like I hadn't really sort of popped up that much yet. So I felt it wasn't too much of a conflict to do to do the restaurant reviewing and and, and that at the time. And um, I had. Um, I had fun. I guess um, it's a hard thing to do, but to be a critic, I, I, I never really liked the idea of um, when you went to a place and and you were having a bad experience. And um, you always, I really hated the idea that I had, I had to go and say something then, because you know people come, people have bad days, and people have um, you know, so many people come to come to the restaurant industry, and um, you know, as, as you know, you, can't, you sort of you, it's a hard thing to come up and be a critic. So I, I tried not to be too critical. I was sort of trying to tell their story and tell my story, thread it through it, and with it. But then also we got to know some really good um, restaurateurs that um, have amazing, amazing restaurants and still still. Go today and, um, and and you got to know them and um, and and um, so you know in the end I, I need I need it I need it heavily I need a really good editor because I was just I just sent I'd sent her like one paragraph <laughs> I don't know word paragraph <laughs> she goes, okay <laughs> so she she goes <laughs> editor and all that and um, is that where is that where the tongue and cheek book has come from yeah so but so that's a bit, a bit so i was doing it for a while then they asked me to do um to say she, she, um, 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 kirsten lawson was the editor and she she said to me she'd always thought about doing a column about uh, men men cooking because um so, so, and, and she said like, like, like they said can you could you just do a, like a, a recipe but aim it at sort of um teaching men how to to cook and i said um yeah, yeah, I can do that. So I um, they called it my, my, the first one was, was called Mail Call, Call to start off with, and then um, so I took on the persona of a of a hunter gatherer. So all of a sudden I was talking about sort of um, foods. We we'll live on the farm by then. We were living out here at Murray Bateman, and so I was talking about how things that we we're doing to what locals were doing and um and it started off just sort of simply cooking sort of you know on the barbecue as, as, you, as you do with with men's cooking but um it evolved into quite a big column it was like it was essentially it was a thousand words a week it was apparently it was quite popular in canberra um it, it, it um used to get um 
put it, you know, put it into digital format. Once gone to digital, got put into the um the, the general Fairfax, and um, I just had a lot of fun with it. The the, the general manager at um, Clonakilla, David Reist, he he was a real keen photographer, so he started doing the photographs for me, and we had just had so much fun cooking, you know, and um, and I had all sorts of things going on here. We we end up raising we we were raising pigs here to do the whole salumi thing to, to write columns about it. And um, then, then um, we thought we'd um, – David um, has published books before. His, his, his wife's a, um, a, a, an author. So he said, let's do a cookbook. So we, um, we did this – published this cookbook from – basically it was one year of um, the articles that I wrote. But we went back to the, the raw articles and sort of put them – more the way that I, without, you know, Kirsten was still involved, so she was still helping us edit them. But I was trying to put, you know, you could, you could be more, flo- more you, you used a different language, <laughs> you know what I mean, when, 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 with, with the book. So we end up publishing this um, cookbook, which is still available because we, we, we end up getting it published in, in, um, in China because we tried to do it locally, but it was too expensive. So we, we had to get a thousand of them made, which was, you know, way bigger than the, when the market was. <laughs> so so you, you, still, you still buy it. <laughs> I have been trying to get a copy and I uh, through a few different websites and um, yeah I, I've found it quite challenging so if you've got a spare copy I'd love to read it one day I can just borrow it and give it back but I'd love to read it now I want to talk um, I want to talk a little bit about your time at Clonakilla because you spent 15 years as the assistant winemaker a huge stint in your career. Tell me about what you learned at Clonacula. Uh, look, I guess it was one of these things where, um, you know, my, my role prior to that, we'd evolved to a contract winemaking business and at Tear Creek and um, I can't say I really, really enjoyed doing that. I, I, we, we, I'd, I'd just been buying a little bit of fruit to make a bit of wine myself at the time. We didn't have, 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 hadn't produced them. And I got to know Tim because, you know, he was, the early days of the Shiraz Vionia, I... Um, I um, it just fascinated me. So, and Tim and I had a bit of a similar history. Like he'd, he'd been he'd been living in Melbourne as well, working in a winery. He was a teacher, but he'd been working at Nick's Wine down there. So we we sort of had a bit of a connection. We had kids. He had, he had more way more than I did, but we sort of had kids. We just had our, had our both had just had our last child in two thousand three, and um, so we used to we Tim and Lara used to come over here and we'd go over there and um, and then um, one night here he just said, "Would you like to come and work for me?" And I thought, "Well, I'm part my partner in a business up there." I can see the, the where I was working from where I'm sitting now, but I said, "Look, I want to do it because um, I, I knew where Tim was at. His father had sort of um, was pulling out of the um, actively role in the winemaking. Tim Tim was going to be the CEO. He needed to be the face of the business. He needed a winemaker to work with him to help grow that business. Um, so it took a while, but we." I did it, and we started in 2000, 2004. I just started just prior to that, so I was the first thing I did there was to bottle the two thousand and three Shiraz Vionia, which was like a big one of their big. The first time they they made about ten thousand liters at the time, which is quite a lot, quite a lot for a small business. And so at the price that was sort of at the time was about a sort of sixty dollar wine. So it was very precious to that small business. And at the time, it was really just me, Tim, and his parents that worked there. There was no Michael Layer was the um the ma- other main person there, but it was a very small team there. And um, they had like a cellar door where we take turns to sell a door, a little cash box. There was no computer in the place. Um, and they had this business that was um. Growing really well, like they were at the time, they were really getting well known for their um, for their product, and um, so it was a great opportunity. So I I, um, I jumped ship and um, and started working with Tim as, as the assistant, and we grew the winery. He eventually let me sort of run the winery, and um, we went from I think doing about sort of ninety tons to in full flight doing like close to 400 tonnes of production. We grew a whole, whole new range of products through that, that time there. And um, it was great. We had, until I had a lot of fun, you know, we, um, at that time, Tim was getting that, those first a la carte. So like when, when he got the Langton's classification, that top rung there, we were up in Sydney. And I mean, we went to, went to Rockpool Bar and Grill and, um, and just had this, this I think so, it was the, that's on there. So we just had this lovely meal there with a great bottle of wine and just, just talking about, you know, it's, it's fantastic to this small little business that it's um it's run it got this achievement, you know, that's and it just went on and on from there. And you know, Tim's just um uh, just so, just such such a nice person, and um 
and um, yeah, we, just, we had, had, had a lot of fun. So the, when I left there, the, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was quite you know, a lot of people worked there, and um, full start. They've got full big, big, huge cellar door now, and that's fully staffed all week. And um, but yeah, I, I, I often reflect on that, and I, I pop over there and, and see them quite often and when I can. And um, and, uh, and it was just a really good time of my life. And and Tim was um, very generous in letting me develop my Ravensworth brand over that period as well. So, so at that time there, all the Ravensworth was being made at Clonakilla. So I was making that on the side at Clonakilla. So it was um, at the time, you know, we, we were sort of still working out. We had a lot of partnerships going on in this business, and um, and so we were sort of working out what we needed to be. And um, eventually, we were able to buy the other partners. This in two thousand and twelve, we were able to buy the other partners out, and um, so it became just our business, my family. So um, and then that was ten years ago. So we sort of we'd grown. We were very small back then, so Tim let me um, sort of grow that business and was very encouraging. And certainly, when I started buying all the weird things that I like to play around with, when they started appearing at Clonakilla, like the you know, ceramic eggs and concrete tanks and fooders and that, he um, he was very generous and it really really helped our business. We were able to sort of that, over that period then sort of it didn't have to pay me money. I was, I was really well paid at Clonakilla, and so I was able to. Um, to keep the money in our business and have the money here to develop. Because I knew when I left Clonakilla, I wanted to be able to make wine like I could at Clonakilla, which meant having a really good winery, good good equipment, good vessels. So um, we were able to sort of over the years sort of have all that here. And um, so when I, when I left there in 2020, we had a, um, a full winery here, a beautiful, beautiful straw bale cellar, fully equipped, ready for vintage. So we didn't go ahead because of the 2020 fires, but we had a full full thing ready to go here. So the transition from Clonic Hill to here was um, was very seamless for me. And, um, and um, yeah, I, sort of, it's, I still wake, wake up from weird dreams where I'm worried about clonic killers, sort of, that's, 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 that's a, that's a mentor, you know. That sort of that that takes you to the next next spot, and um, you know, I, I um, I'm very very thankful for that time. It um, really really. I, mean, I, I guess I, I I hope that I was useful. We the business did, Tim was able to sort of um, grow that business as he did, and um, so I think it was quite quite mutually beneficial. Um, but I, I did I did I did enjoy it. But it, but the time came to to, to leave there. Yeah. I can say. I'm sure with Tim's backing that you had an absolutely huge imprint on that business. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he is very, very grateful as we all are for the, your dedication to Clonakiller at that time. In true Brian Martin um, style, you've talked so much about all these beautiful people you've met and you always leave what you now do, your beautiful Ravensworth wines to the, to the very end. Uh, as you said, you have been, you know, working with varieties that you love to play around with. You've got now certified organic 16 hectare plus farm and you really kind of make wines that interest you with their very minimal carbon imprint. They are stunning wines that once you start going down the kind of little rabbit's hole of what you do well, you kind of never, I think, come out of it because there's always something of interest and uh, they are made so beautifully with so much care. Uh, if you haven't tried, to everybody listening, if you haven't tried the wines of Ravensworth, which you have a lovely range, an estate range, a regional range, you also work with some lovely kind of fruit from the hilltops and Tumbarumba, but they are wines that you will be forever fascinated by. Um, total pleasurable drinking um, wines, but also just wines that make you think as well. Your son is now involved a little bit, is that right, in the kind of um, ongoing process at Ravensworth? Yeah, he is, yeah. Like, so Lewis, Lewis finished school, finished school um, two years ago and he said to us, so he's one of the kids that went through 11, 12 um, um, during COVID. So he, um, he, he has a lot of time at home here doing his studies and um, and still trying to work out what he what he wanted to do. Like his brother and sister sort of, sort of had a bit more... They sort of, some ways knew what they were going to do. He, he was sort of still not sure. He's sort of more artistic type, and um, and so he he said, "I was new eleven. I want to do this." And we sort of, Josh and I were delighted. 
it's um, that sort of succession sort of thing is the big thing in the, in the industry is a lot of a lot of businesses don't keep going because of the succession and uh, and I could see very well what a, what a succession can do to a business when obviously with Clonic Killer and um, so he um, he said so he said okay so he, he enrolled in um, in year 12 he enrolled in to CSU do the same course that I did the wine science course there went out and did his Westet 2 during the holidays and um, so he sort of had a bit of experience with wine but I was been you know I was grew up around I was born on the property so sort of wine was something that he, he was quite familiar with and during vintage he and, his, and also his older brother would if that would come over and help me with you know late point plunging and that sort of stuff that they had. so they were sort of very much embedded in his in his in his mind the wine thing Turning the what we want to do, so we were delighted. So he, um, so the twenty twenty two vintage was his first one with 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 me, and he just essentially I'd run the I'd run the winery here myself. We have a couple of young sort of aspirational winemakers from hospitality that um, that come and do some work with me during vintage, and I'm really happy to have, have them here because that's what I did. <laughs> that's how I got started. So I'm always really happy to help them. So for Lewis, we were able to sort of he was able to sort of um, launch into the the twenty two vintage. It was quite a big vintage for us. We did sort of 130 odd tons, so it was quite, a, which is probably about, you know, almost twice what I'd done before. So it was quite a busy year, and the winery was still in its, you know, sort of in its still very much a raw wine, and we didn't have a lot of equipment sort of set up by then. But he liked it, and it was it was it was quite. He sort of in, in the first year of studies, he he launched some of that and. So he's into it. Like he's just uh, he just did a three month stint in the in Cutrow team with a, a friend of ours who's actually one of the first interns at Clonakilla. He runs a, his own winery. They're called Domain Graham and Julia Bott, who's a fantastic producer. He sent him one of his wines back here, twenty twenty, one of his single single vineyard sites, and he's just a great producer. So Lewis worked three months with him for the 20, 2023 vintage, which was a great vintage over there for the for Cutrow too. I think it was, there were some problems in sort of the southern part of Europe, but. Graham, they, they said a great, and, and so Lewis was very busy that time there, and he came back with a whole new perspective on on wine and uh, and um, and also the the business about how you go about making wine and and that sort of thing. Because obviously in Europe, it's you know Graham, very expensive food he deals, very different, and they're, they're they're carving vineyards out of out of rock there, and they've got, they've got vineyards in, in Condru and that sort of stuff there. So amazing! That's so great. I'm so glad to hear that. Lewis is involved. He's into, he's into it, yeah, and he's got his own little brand that we want him to sort of have that experience of selling wine as well. Because we, we sell through in Bebo, so we um we we, know, we do a lot with them. But to actually go there and have to sort of knock on doors and you know, try my wine, which I, I did early, is, is a good thing to do, I think. So so he um and, he, and he's also we wanted to make sure that he knew the industry. So he's been working in hospitality for as well. So he's working at a place called Paranormal Wines with a guy named Max Walker. I'm not sure if you know him from he used to be in Sydney, and um and also does a bit of work at done a bit of Bar Rockford and such and such, and he's, he does a, he does a, a, a yearly post vintage stint at Wildflower Brewing in Sydney. So he does some work in the in the brewery there, but also work they, they've got quite a neat little cellar door there. So he's, for a young guy, it's not quite twenty one. He's thrown himself at it. That's so great to hear. And if Lewis, hopefully you're listening to your father's sage advice, but uh, you really have an amazing, amazing opportunity to be involved with such beautiful winery and. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad to hear that he's taking that on board. And, and Brian, you are someone that, you know, looks for opportunity, keeps pushing yourself, is a real person of discovery and curiosity. And I see that in you every time we wine judge or whatever we do together. I, I can see that you're a, just a curious soul and I, and I am too. And I, and I really love that about you. I wanted to give you, I'll have to wrap this up. So I, I, we'll have to do a bit of a rapid fire, but I wanted to ask you two questions. First of all, I want to give you the opportunity to shout out some of your peers' wines that you're drinking. So who do you, out of, you know, not your own wines, do, do you really enjoy drinking and, and buy each year? And then if you could only drink three drinks for the rest of your life, what would they be? Um, yeah, so I, I guess that obviously we do. We, 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 we swap wine with people and we buy wine. And um, so I guess some of the wines that I've, I enjoy and look for each year, I mean, I love um, Dave and Steve's um, Salo wines from, from um, Yarra. I just think the Chardonnay is fantastic. And also in Dave Bicknell's the, the Oak Ridge the 864 is like a standard. You know, anything that Josh and Owen do, I, I, I love I love where they're at. It's, to me, they're, um, they're, they're 
you know, they're obviously second generation, but I still very feel, feel akin to them. And um, as, if I think about Lewis, I always think that seeing these guys take their their, their family's business and just move them forward, and that is just fantastic. I love um, Nebbiolo from up in the Alpine Valleys in Beechworth. You know, I love what Tess is doing at um, Vineyard Smolens and Brown. I think she's someone to watch. Recently was down there and went to a place to see Paul at Pippin Steel. She's someone that's so focused on Nebbiolo. Love that. In Adelaide Hills, I was I judged there for three years and got, got to know them quite well. But I I didn't like the underbelly, underbelly there, so I always sort of end up in the basket ranges. So um, you know, commune and buttons and you know, Schulte's wines at basket ranges and and, and honestly, Gareth at General Folk is such a lovely person. I love his wine, just just love love his wine. Tasmania, you know, Sam Conyu at Stargazer, just her wines are just sort of just brilliant wines. Uh, likewise with um, Jim's down in Huon Valley, Jim Chateau. And my good my good friend um, Ricky Evans at Two Ton Tasmania, I've we've sort of um, spent a lot of time together. We, we sell through the same business, and um, I really like what he's doing up in up in the, the north there. I think he's a, a young winemaker that is um, really. Um, really hungry for for the business and um, yeah, so they're sort of some people. Obviously, Clonakilla because <laughs> I've got a cellar full of them. <laughs> so so, so it's, it's lovely to drink wines that are old now. <laughs> they're mature wines, sorry, that that I made with Tim back at Clonakilla at the time. I was fasc- always fascinated when that would come around. So um, yeah, so there's some of the ones. I mean, I, I love I love Hunter Shiraz and Semyon many producers, I think they're the wines that just sort of age so well. You know, they're just sort of, um, if you, you, you've got to wait, but they're just absolutely stunning wines. So, that's, you know, Tyrrells. They are indeed. So if you're picking three wines, what are they going to be? I know it's a tough question. Yeah, out of those there, um, I'd say the, the Salo Chardonnay. Um, I'd say the, um, the, the, the Tyrrells, um, the Semyon. And... Um, and um, and I think I, mean, I do like Chardonnay. I'd say I'd say gentle folk Chardonnay um, would be the ones that I'd sort of um, okay. That's what yeah, I, I quite like those ones. Yeah. It tells me a little bit about kind of your palate and when we're to meet again, what to bring you to drink. So, <laughs> Brian, I love speaking to you. I really hope we get to do some judging in 2024 together. Thank you so much for spending the time. You're such a wealth of knowledge, and you've had a fascinating life. And only will continue to get more exciting, no doubt. So thank you for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you very much. I love it. Okay, bye-bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.